0: In the U.S. right now there are 77 million baby boomers, 10,000 turn 65 every day, about 4,000 turn 85 every day and they need space to live. This is why assisted living is a great way to cater to their needs while making significant amount of money. I'll be interviewing Lou Hornbuckle, CEO and founder of Sage Oak Assisted Living and Memory Care. Sage Oak owns five facilities in Dallas and has two ground-up boutique assisted living or memory care developments in Texas and Louisiana, totaling just under 300 beds with an estimated dollar value of $45 million. Welcome Lou Hornbuckle to Wealth Matters Podcast. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Hey, so we'll just get started. Um, How did you get started in real estate?
1: So originally I got started in real estate, uh, you know, doing single family homes. I uh, had a W2 job, but I'd always been fascinated by um, real estate. It always really kind of intrigued me. And so the first thing I ever did was I did a a flip property. Oh, okay. My first flip was during the middle, uh, like right at the, right at the end of the great economy in 2007. So I got stuck with this, uh, this house that I couldn't sell during the uh, Great Recession. Yes, And I turned it in, into a rental house and uh, just sort of, you know, tread water for a long time and eventually sold the house. So my first deal was terrible. So that's always a good start.
0: Yeah. So that you learned a lot of lessons out of it. So when did you sell
1: that property? Uh, we sold it in mean, 2011. No, it was later okay. now, probably like 2014 or 2015. Oh, okay. So, um, so, so we, you, yeah, you learned about buy and hold. <laughs> we did it as a, well, we did it as a, we eventually converted it to like a lease option. Um, oh, which, nice. Which, yeah. So in Louisiana, <laughs> rent to own kind of a big, a big uh, option. It's a little less oh, true here nice. in Texas. Nice. And so we did that and had a tenant for a really long time. And after a while, unfortunately, their circumstances meant they couldn't stay in the house and uh, we ended up having to sell it.
0: I see. I see. So, so I was going to ask you about your best and worst deal. I think I already know about the worst deal. (laughs) No,
1: that's actually not the worst deal. Oh,
0: okay. But it was a bad deal. (laughs) Yeah. So can you, can you tell us about what your, what was your worst deal and the best deal and what
1: did you learn out of those? Sure. Yeah. So the, uh, the worst deal that I did, um, is we bought a, um, a low-income portfolio um, in Shreveport, Louisiana, where I'm from. Oh,
0: you're from Shreveport. I know Shreveport pretty well.
1: (laughs) Yes, I I am from uh, Shreveport, also known as Ratchet City. That is where I'm from.
0: Yes, I know. My uncle was a doctor there, and he, he, he lived there for like 15 years and then moved to Chicago. So I used to visit Shreveport.
1: I lived there for 30 years, and that's oh, where okay. I learned all my real estate chops, uh, or at least initially. And um, I bought a low-income portfolio there, and the numbers were great. And what we kind of learned about low-income housing is that oftentimes the turnover of units and stuff like that can wipe out such a huge amount of Exactly. Uh, and the, the lesson that I learned there is to do things that you understand. And, I, you know, I don't really have any frame of reference for, you know, houses that rent for $500 a month or $600 a month. So, you know, when I was successful, when I was renting to people that, you know, were renting for $1,200 a month or $1,500 a month, because that at the time was about what I would be renting if I was a renter. So I just right. understood that demographic. I understood what they wanted, I understood what, um, what things they needed. And so I, I learned from that, you know, basically to do things that you understand at the core. And if you stick to what you know, then you're, you're much more likely to be successful.
0: Right. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> so what was your best deal?
1: So the, my best deal was probably, um, I've got a few that are probably closed. My best deal was probably one of the care homes that I, I built in Dallas. Um, um, we uh, we bought a property um, for about five hundred and sixty thousand and remodeled it for about two hundred and fifty thousand. Oh wow! And that house uh, cash flow is probably about one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year. So that's a it's a pretty I good see. house.
0: That's a great deal. So now that you mentioned about care home, we can jump onto the topic. So when you say uh, when you mention care home, is that residential assisted living or RAL?
1: Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. So, RAL is kind of more of a national term. Care home is what some people call it. You know, every every city and state kind of has different yeah. terminology. But yeah, I focus on um, I focus on residential assisted living. It's um, designed to take care of people that have dementia and Alzheimer's. We also do some assisted living as well, but a lot of our clients have uh, have dementia or have uh, Alzheimer's. I see.
0: So, uh, why move from uh, flip to rentals to our or residential assisted living?
1: Sure. Yeah, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a linear progression. There wasn't uh, you know any one thing that happened. Um, you know, my my affinity for real estate um, was always there, um, but I've never really I've never really been good at acquisitions. I've never really been good at disposition. So all that's left is is sort of the middle, and the middle is operations, right? Um, and so you know, I, I'm not somebody that that is going to spend, you know, hundreds of hours sending out postcards and trying to you know really negotiate really hard with someone in really desperate situations so I can get the house for, you know, ten or fifteen percent cheaper. It's yeah. really not my mentality, and I'm also, um, you know, I, I don't I'm not necessarily the greatest at selling things. But what I have found found in my career is that. Um, When it comes to operations, when it comes to 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 rentals, things like that, I was very successful. Uh, And the um, what really worked out well for me um, was um, attending the Residential Assisted Living Academy, learning about the business. Um, I had had a father go through a bad experience in hospice, and it made me realize, you know, that there's this awesome opportunity to help people that are in really difficult situations and help their families through really difficult situations and. We've been able to build a, you know, really, really solid, you know, uh, mid-sized company in Dallas that's uh, very well respected in the community. The houses are always, you know, 95% to 100% occupied. And uh, we're always uh, just really happy to be able to serve the community and get paid well to do so.
0: So, um, that that's interesting. So, when and how did you
1: transition to RAL? Gotcha. So, uh, I started doing residential assisted living in 2015. Oh, okay. Um, And the way that I transitioned into it, I was actually working for an apartment management company um, that had about 10,000 units at one time. And um, I was working at a kind of a class C property. And um, I remember the summer was coming up and I was starting to get really worried because this particular community had um, children that were somewhat um, misbehaved. And so, I was trying to imagine working there in the summer with it being hot, and like <laughs> chasing around kids. And I'm talking about like these kids would like, like I've, I caught kids like smashing air conditioner units with oh. brick. They were just, they had a lot of time on their hands, and they were just wow. like we had a fence that kept getting torn down. So I literally was like, guys, they're going to keep tearing the fence down because they they were trying to cut across the parking lot. I said, why don't we just install a gate um, so that that way they don't tear the fence down? So I was just dreading doing that, and then. Um, so I was, I was going to be leaving that company cause I, I really took that job for education reasons. I really didn't need, you know, the job was probably paid about 25% or 30% of, of what I was making before when I was, oh, a wow so, but I took the job for the education and I learned a lot and I made a lot of good contacts, but I just really wasn't looking forward to that summer. So I said, okay, I'm gonna take a little time off, figure out what I'm going to do. And then the, the week after I resigned, I heard a presentation about senior housing and I thought that was kind of interesting. And then the very first time Gene was on the Real Estate Guys podcast, I heard it and I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Single family homes, I could wrap my head around it. And so I just sort of dove right in and, and uh, had a look back.
0: That's a great story. So pretty much you worked for uh, to learn and then you realized this is what you should be doing and you just jumped right into it, right? No, no waiting, no analysis paralysis.
1: <laughs> no, I just, uh, from, you know, the Tony Robbins concept, I burned the boats.
0: Yeah, I, just, uh, I like that.
1: <laughs> I just made I committed.
0: So I, I personally looked into RAL as well here in Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and just the price of real estate would not make sense. I spent about a year analyzing tons of opportunities and it just did not make sense. But I also started learning that you also have to have, you know, certain state certifications and whatnot. So what kind of regulations should someone be aware of?
1: Well, in general, I mean, you have to understand that residential assisted living is a, um, it's both a state business, um, it's regulated by the state, but it's also regulated at some level at the zoning level, which is usually done by cities. Ah, Some states have very sort of um, consistent viewpoints all across the state. Where I'm from in Texas, different cities, different counties, have different rules because residential assisted living, you know, is it a single family home? Is it multifamily?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is it commercial? Is it not commercial? Um, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people in the community that, that, that think they don't want it. And I say think right. they don't want it because usually when it's there, no one minds
0: right. it's just
1: the concept of, Oh, there's going to be a nursing home next door to me. There's going to be an assisted living facility next door to me. It can cause a little bit of uh, sort of not in my backyard and cause a little bit right. of fear. Uh, But the thing is, is there's so many people in the community that are happier there. Um, They're just not as vocal. And so a lot of it depends on the area that you're in. But the first thing I try to do is I look at the state rules. So anytime I'm advising someone on how to analyze a market, I look at the state rules and make sure those state rules are favorable. And by favorable, I just mean that, you know, number one, they allow you a decent number of residents. Um, You know, for example, some states might cap you at six residents. Some states might allow you at 16. Obviously, you get a lot more economies of scale, a lot more efficiency at 16 residents than you do at six. So, you know, you want to look for states that have favorable, um, favorable rules. You know, there are plenty of people that are successful um, with six beds, but they have to charge a lot more. So you want to find state rules that are favorable. And then once you do that, then I start looking at neighborhood level, city level. Trying to figure out, you know, where I think there's a need for this based on,
0: right. you
1: know, where, where, where are their populations that can afford this? Where are their older populations and what cities and neighborhoods are welcoming? You know, you might yes. find the perfect place, but there's an HOA that's determined to fight you. Yeah. Maybe you, win, well, you maybe,
0: it's a problem.
1: maybe you win, maybe you don't, but my preference would be to go somewhere where I'm welcome. And so a lot of places understand this model and understand the need is there. And so you're just trying to find places where you're welcome because ultimately, the people that you're arguing with are your future customers. So you don't really want to get in an argument right out of the gate, but sometimes it is necessary.
0: (laughs) No, that's a great point. And I I do not understand why people think NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard for something like RAL, right? It's better to have, you know, elderly people than those kids you just mentioned about, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. If you think about it, Anytime you've ever had a bad neighbor, most people will tell you the bad neighbor was a husband and wife who fought a little too loud or somebody that had, you know, teenage driving kids. Exactly. Riding through yards and hitting mailboxes over and just in general throwing parties when the pants are out of town. You know, most people don't complain when you have eight people uh, that are elderly living next door to you watching mash. Yeah. That doesn't usually cause any problems. Yeah.
0: They're, they're playing bingo. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> so, uh, I have another question, how does an investor or operator himself or herself uh, protect uh, himself or herself because you are dealing with an elderly person, right? Someone who has dementia or Alzheimer's, as you mentioned, or other health conditions. What do you have? What kind of insurance you, ha- you need or how do you protect yourself, right? From, other, um, from asset protection perspective cetera, and a lot of other you know, legalities.
1: So a couple things. Uh, one is I want to kind of dispel the idea that it's, it's necessarily a litigious business. Um, I've actually been sued more in the home renting business than I have in the assisted living business.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so most people, if you communicate well, um, most of the time um, in assisted living, you won't have any legal issues because it's usually when someone asks you four or five times to take mm-hmm. care of something, you don't get it done. And then something bad happens, it usually gets sued. So nice. we try to do a good job of having good communication so it 's not a very litigious business, but it can be for especially for big operators, but for smaller guys it 's usually a pretty uh, pretty um, lawsuit free um, but the other component is um, something really important, which is just just your same basic asset protection. The things that are going to interact with clients is a separate lLC the things that own the real estate is a separate LLC or a separate entity. obviously, you can get insurance policies for. You know, personal liability and general liability, and uh, you know, errors and omissions. So, right insurance policies. Um, the insurance market for residential assisted living is not not very robust nationally. There's only like three or four carriers. So sometimes, oh, they're, wow. a little, they're a little limited, just because a lot of people don't want to insure small right. um, for small assisted living facilities. But there are a few good providers out there. So the insurance is definitely you know it's expensive, but. The truth is, if you have a suit, it's probably going to be kind of an expensive suit. So, um, you know, you, you just get, you have good asset protection strategies with your, with your organizations. And then, of course, your first line of defense is, of course, your, your insurance policy.
0: Thanks, Lou. So, we'll take a break here. After the break, we'll continue chatting with Lou Hornbuck on how uh, and why to operate a residential assisted living facility.
1: You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at WealthMatters.com. It's Wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, Matters, M-A-T-R-S, dot com.
0: Welcome back. I'm chatting with Lou about RAL, Residential Assisted Living. Hey, uh, Lou, um, I, I understood about the LLC asset protection as well as, you know, having right proper... Uh, general insurance as well as en ENO insurance. insurance. Uh, what about like when I'm doing uh, multifamily deals, I'm always looking at how I can do a value add and increase the cap rate and NOI, right? So is there a way to make sure um, uh, how uh, you can do a value add uh, in RAL or maybe by offering additional amenities or services or maybe renovating the house, et cetera? Can you give us an idea?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, I think as compared to multifamily, I think it's a bit different only because, um, in multifamily, you know, these cap rates are five or 6% a lot of times. And so every dollar of income, you know, might increase the sales price by, you know, 17 X or 20 X or whatever the number is. And, and, uh, small assisted living facilities don't really trade like that. So typically, A small assisted living facility might trade maybe real estate, uh, real estate value plus two to four times the business earnings. Correct. And so, you know, adding value in that way doesn't necessarily turbocharge your exit. Now, one of the ways you can you can produce a lot of money is by buying a house that's kind of distressed. It's a single family home that nobody can figure out what to do with. And then going in, but it's it's the right fit for what you want to do. And then going in and remodeling it for residential assisted living. Um, you know, there's some opportunities to build some equity that way. But for the most part, your strategy with residential assisted living is really more just have this thing that spins off a tremendous amount of cash flow that has oftentimes, I mean, a, a single family home can sometimes have a cap rate of, you know, 15%, 20%, 25%. Wow. Those are pretty common. And so with the right structure, the cash on cash return can be very good. And so, um, you know, these are one of the few assets that, you know, if you told every apartment investor right now, you had to pay cash for the apartment complex, very few apartments would trade right now because who wants to, you know, invest $10 million to get a 5% or a 6% return. Right. Yeah. If you can't leverage, there is no way. (laughs) It wouldn't work. But with with a care home, if I told you, hey, spend a million dollars, and you'll get $180,000 in cash flow, you may do that. Yeah, I would jump on it. <laughs> Obviously, uh, care homes, because of their, their massive cap rates, um, you have the opportunity to produce a durable stream of cash flow um, for, for a long period of time. So most people get into the care home business, get into the care home business with the intention of, of owning until they no longer want to be in the business and then, then selling the asset to the next person and, and, uh, and, and going from there right and do you hire employees as well oh yeah absolutely we have about 40 employees with our dallas operation
0: so so you you need to worry about the employee as well right the employee side the payroll etc right you have to make sure
1: yeah exactly well my my team does most of that but yeah it's still something we have to worry about yeah okay cool and
0: um uh, which market are you focused in dallas mostly
1: yeah so i have five locations now in dallas Um, i'm working on number six Um, nice and then I've got a couple of big projects we're doing. So I'm kind of moving on from residential assisted living to doing a, a doing residential assisted living on one campus.
0: Nice. So right now
1: we're developing, um, we've got six and a half acres we're developing in South Louisiana and then 20 acres that we're developing in uh, North Dallas in a town called Denton, Texas.
0: Yes, I know Denton.
1: Um, yeah. And so we're, uh, we're developing land in those two markets to be a, a campus, a planned campus of care homes so instead of having care homes spread all throughout the city, you pull up and it's a neighborhood, but the neighborhood right. is care homes. So it's nice because you can have everything all in one location.
0: So I, I, I assume you are based out of Dallas. So Dallas makes sense or not, uh, not Dallas, right? But how are you going to manage the property in Louisiana? Because I looked into it and I was worried that, you know, it's not same as single family or multifamily where I can hire a property manager and they take care of most of the stuff.
1: So we, we build out operations in whatever market we go to. So, um, about, um, so about nine months before construction complete, we'll, we'll actually be starting vertical construction in the next couple of months. And about nine months before that construction is complete, I spend a lot of time in the market and hire the key person. And then they're going to be kind of working marketing and then building a team in the background so that when the, uh, when the, when the, when the construction's complete, you know, we've got a basic outline of who our team's going to be. So we went into Lake Charles with the intention of of hiring a third party operator. But when I toured a lot of the facilities in the market, frankly, I wasn't very impressed. (laughs) And so if I wasn't impressed, I didn't think the clients would be impressed. And so we decided ultimately that keeping management in house would allow us to have better quality control. Of course, obviously you pick up the revenue stream from that. So, you know, we're really focused on, you know, quality control and and understanding why our model of small, you know, boutique setting works really well. And so we're just sort of focused on, on keeping that in house. Um, It does hamper the growth a little bit. What it does mean is, is that if there's a problem or an issue, I understand on a level where I can at least get us out of the situation. I fear for a lot of the people that are so reliant on third parties that if something ever happens, they don't necessarily know. Um, how to solve the problem you know
0: yeah so
1: we're real focused on keeping that in house and and right now that's just a big focus of ours
0: so you just mentioned lake charles right so is that where i think victor is also developing huge apartment building right so i've heard good things about lake charles
1: yeah absolutely that's uh, victor's um uh, is the one that actually brought me in on the project ah, okay. He called me and said i got this deal that i think would be a good fit for um uh, would be a good fit for uh, assisted living, and I went down there and took a look at it, and we figured it out from there. That's awesome.
0: It's great. So, hey, uh, we'll we'll change some tracks. I want to uh, know more about how you got started. So, what advice would you give to your younger self? Right now, that you know you have been doing this thing, um, and uh, I assume you are 37, 36. So, what what would the advice would you give to your twenty years, seven years? <laughs> so.
1: Um, you know, I never, I never know what to answer to that question because I feel like you can't, you can't skip experiences, you know, so everything that's happened to me, good and bad has all added up to who I am today. So, um, I don't know that I would change anything because every, every dumb thing I've ever done, you know, (laughs) I lived and I learned from it and that's the best teacher for me. So, um, I I always kind of said that. The metaphor that I always used because a lot of people thought I was kind of crazy to get into assisted living. They especially thought I was crazy to, to try to manage it myself. And the analogy I use is this. If you're a boxer, you spend your whole life um you know wanting to hit other people.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but at some point, you're gonna get hit yourself. You are
0: going to get hit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and if you if you can be the best boxer in the world, but if one punch takes you down, if you've got a glass jaw then you're not going to have a very long career as a boxer. And I think that's true in business. I think a lot yes. of people, they want the shortcut. They want the easy way. They want the they want everything to be kind of handed to them. And that can work for a time. But almost everybody in business, everybody in life, everybody in boxing is going to get punched at some point. And I think a lot of people find out at really bad time that they have a glass jaw. And for me, um, I said, hey, I want to learn how to take a punch. So if I can – Go into assisted living and struggle and make mistakes and have problems and, and just you know work hard in the business, then it'll allow me to teach others. It'll allow me to grow and it'll allow me to be very successful as long as I take those lessons to heart and improve myself and improve the company. So I'm really committed to the process. And for me, the process is make mistakes, learn, make mistakes, learn, make mistakes, learn. And uh, that's, that's really kind of been the key, key ingredient. So maybe I would tell my 20-year-old self or 24-year-old self or whatever, I would just say, hey, it's okay. Go, go, go fail as fast as you can.
0: <laughs> I, that's a great advice though, um, you know, I, I keep telling this the same thing to some of my friends as well, that if you don't take action, you're not going to learn, you know, a lot of people, uh, they want to learn about real estate, or whatever, you know, alternative investments, but they never pull the trigger, right, they learn, they read all kinds of books, they go to all kinds of seminars, and then, you know, if I ask them, they haven't bought anything in past three years, four years. And the only way to actually learn is, is by jumping into it, right? So that's a great advice. Absolutely. Hey, uh, which is your most favorite business or finance or personal development book?
1: Um, I, you know, I'm a, I really like, two books that I like the most are one, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People.
0: Oh, yeah, it's a great book.
1: I just think it, it provides such, such wisdom that, I mean, I've probably one of the few business books I read multiple times. And then there's a series of books, um, Now Discover Your Strengths, um, okay. and it's by, what happened is the Gallup organization uh, surveyed a bunch of employees and managers, and they kind of found out like what makes people successful. Mm-hmm. And their theory is, is everyone wants to work on their weaknesses, but you should basically almost ignore your weaknesses and focus on your strengths instead. Um, and so that basically you can just get better at the things you're naturally good at already. Um, so I've really enjoyed that book because um, for me, I know. Weakness. Are you losing me? Yeah. Sorry yeah, okay, yeah, my Okay. Yeah. My internet at my house is not all that great. Um, so if I, if, I, if I'm constantly trying to train away my weaknesses, I'm not going to be successful. So I've really kind of focused on, okay, what do I do well, understanding myself, and then doing things that allow me to be successful. And for, the, for me in this business, one of the reasons why I've been able to grow pretty quickly in residential assisted living is I just really pride myself on being able to understand what the client needs and, uh, and the families and then communicate it well. A lot of people in healthcare don't communicate very well. And it's a real problem in our business. And so we really just try to set the bar on having top level communication. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're, you're at home and you get a text message from, you know, my manager or whatever, and it's a picture of your mom or dad at a right. birthday party having a, having a nice day, it's going to make you feel good. Oh, yeah. And if something wow. bad happens, if you hear about it quickly, it's going to make you feel like they're right. being well taken care of. So right. communication is a big part of our business. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, communication and transparency are the two things which will Help you become successful in any kind of business, pretty much. So, and and I like that uh, book as well. I haven't read the book, but this is exactly same thing Tony Robbins mentioned as well in his book and the Giant Within. That focus on your strength right? Do not try to improve on your weaknesses. Do not try to fix all that, but focus on your strength, and you'll be able to you know run faster, right, towards your goal.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So how can my listeners reach out to you?
1: Absolutely. So, um, you know, people have questions about all kinds of things as related to assisted living. Um, Sometimes they want to, they got a question about, you know, they're looking for a place for mom or dad or their spouse. And they can certainly reach out for that. Even if it's not in Dallas, I'll try to point them to whatever resources I have. You know, if they're interested in learning more about being on our investor list, or of course, if they want to learn more about how to get started in the business, I can refer them to a company I work with that helps with training. Um, so the best way to reach me is uh, my first name Lo L O E. And then my company's called Sage Oak. So the website is the SageOak T-H-E-S-A-G-E O A K dot com. So low at the Sage and they can email me whatever they'll need and I'll try to point them in the right direction.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. If you are on the fence about investing or have any questions about alternative investments, please reach out to me at alpesh at wealthmatters.com. It's A-L-P-E-S-H at W-E-A-L-T-H-M-A-T-R-S dot com. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing!